Hello and welcome back to the Awe Podcast. It's Hi. your hosts, Lashana and Josh. We're excited to be back with episode four, talking we about are. family. Our, our guest is just phenomenal. She Fantastic. talks about so many dynamics from a personal level with family. Um, so hang on, you're going to love it. I used to do a training for the staff at my, my last place that I worked. And it was teaching about addiction and, and what do we need to make for the environment in this inpatient addiction treatment facility. And I showed a, a TED talk during this training, and it's of a man who takes us through this journey of his addiction and his journey to recovery. But it starts with not belonging in his family, mm-hmm. right? Not feeling like he's included in his family, not being allowed to be his authentic self and wanting to be something that was idealized, right? What is a man, right? Mm-hmm. And and what does that look like? And am I allowed not to be all these things that are in quotes for being a man? But at the end of this TED Talk, it's so visual and so moving when he's talking about finding that place was that was like family to him. And it was like going to a 12-step meeting. But he, he says... There was this white house. It was on a corner. It was like a beacon on a corner. And it was two stories tall. And when I opened the door, I felt love. Mm. And then I seed love. And then I, then I felt love again with all the hugs. And we're glad you're here. And it had slogans on the walls like, you could do it one day at a time. Today matters, mm-hmm. just for today's, keep it simple. And then people would repeat those slogans and then they would live those slogans. And it's just a feeling he said he would never forget. And that feeling was belonging, right? Because it was the first time he seen that and it had so many symbols around it. But just think about that. What is the symbol of belonging to you? And for many of us, it's family, but for some of us, we have to redefine who our family is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In preparation for today's episode, I looked up definitions because I find it so interesting how we define things, right? Yes. And where they come from. Yes. And so a definition of family that I discovered was a, a family is a group of two or more persons related by birth, marriage, or adoption who live together. All such related persons are considered as members of one family. Family, And I found that at hrsa.gov. And what you just shared, Josh, that's a totally different thing, right? Completely, totally different. And that's why I find it so interesting. And that's why I wanted to kind of start with that definition. You know, it's interesting that when I searched this definition, that the makeup of a family, you know, that's what comes up first. Um, You know, I had to look a bit further to find how the family is actually characterized in terms of value and importance, what you just shared. So that's... Yeah, fantastic. And the ways that we attach meaning to it, right? For this individual you just spoke about, how he attached meaning just by opening that door, seeing that location, seeing the house and describing the color, right? Right. Um, So topper.com then answers the question, why is family important, right? So you had to switch it up in terms there a little bit. But, you know, families boost our confidence, make us feel loved. They are the pillars of our strength who never fall and said, keep us strong so we become better people. We learn the values of love, respect, faith, hope, caring, cultures, ethics, traditions, and everything else that concerns us through our families. So see there a much more powerful view of what family is defined as. Unconditional love. Our our guest talks about that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And very much likened to what you share. 
with your individual. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, you know, some of those definitions that are more popular describe what a, what we call a nuclear family, right? Right. But we also know that pets are being included in family. Absolutely. And, you know, our fur babies, as we call them sometimes, yes. really Cannot mean not live without them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they bring a lot of meaning to our lives, they right? Do. And they are um, pets. You know, we have dogs at home. They show unconditional love. Absolutely. Right? Meaning um, of it right there. Right. If you've never felt it, own a pet. Own a pet. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you will right. see that immediately. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So family can be really complex, right? We don't get to choose our biological family, our blood relatives. Um, but we can build families, right? We can build families at work. We can build families at the gym. We can build families in our with friends, right? But each family has a climate, right? And these climates we know turn on and turn off genes for us, which manifests its, itself in like anxiety and depression and all those things that we can be susceptible to. And of course, our families give us some of those genes too, which makes families super complex. So you know, sometimes we've gone a, gone through a life where there's nothing that shouldn't have happened, like nothing like rape or incest or torture or neglect or all the awful things that can happen within a family and are more likely mm-hmm. to happen within a family, right? Because we, we are vulnerable to our families. But we can grow up in environments where none of these, what we would put in quotes is bad things have happened to us, but there's things that should have happened but didn't, Right. right. And that's love, right? A lot of times that's the peace, the love, and the warmth. And that can miss in a lot of environments. So we challenge you to how loving is your family? Yeah. So within those complexities, right, and not belonging in the family, I, you know, and I've mentioned this several times, you know, my biracial family experience and you know, as a product of an interracial couple, you know, I was not initially welcomed into all facets of my family. In fact, you know, some were very harsh words that I that were uttered at the mention of my arrival. And these are words that have been given power and hold extremely negative connotation. They're racialized words. Mm-hmm. You know, one word in particular that I do not say or use ever. And so I'm not going to do it for the purpose of the podcast. But I think everyone knows what I'm alluding to here. There are other terms that were I was that were used to refer to me. So high yellow, light skinned, even uppity on occasion, right? Depending on whom I was with. So mm-hmm. if I was with my mother's family, there may be another term and my father's another, right? And I've even been told that if I had been born during the time of slavery, I would have been deemed good enough, air quotes, right? To be inside the main house due to wow. the color of my skin, right? And so what I want to say again, because that's pretty heavy and not so exciting and doesn't give you all those happy feelings in the rainbows. But what I want to say with that is that I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. I'm sharing with the intent, again, to relate to you, the listener, if there's somebody out there who's had these experiences. You know, if we're confused for whatever reason because of who we are and where we find ourselves, right? I want to say that I don't believe any of that was due um, done with malicious intent. I think people do what they know. And mm-hmm. we have to look back at where these individuals came and their family and how they were raised, right? Um, and using that now, as Josh and I and our guests speak to, in creating our own families, right? I'm a mother. yeah. And so, and my children are for the most part grown, but you're always mothering, so that doesn't stop. But <laughs> in terms of their development and where I am, that's changed. And right. so 
I would have not so long ago said that being a mother was the best thing I've ever done. And that is the thing that I have been greatest at. To ask me today, I'd flounder a little bit and say, you know, maybe not. Um, and that is me admitting that my own very, my family, the family I created, I, I, I have tried to break cycles. I continue to try to do that, which is very, very difficult. But my family is dysfunctional. And so all of these family systems, all of these connections, all of these belongings or lack thereof bring us to where we are currently, whatever stage that is. And I believe um, the things I've experienced, the things I've shared with my children have allowed me to sit in this space with you, Josh, and you, the listener, right, on this all podcast and hopefully reach somebody who may be experiencing some of those things to say, whatever these things are that we've heard, those messages that we've received, or maybe even been um, the one to give a message, right? Mm -hmm. We make mistakes and we can still learn how to foster a sense of connection, belonging within a family, with the fam family we create outside of our nuclear family, all of mm -hmm. these things, we can still do that. And where it does it bring us ultimately to today, right? And so turning it in a way, reframing that in a way where it does have a, some positivity on it, right? And knowing that you are not alone. Right. Yeah. Right. And I remember, you know, speaking of sometimes not belonging in a family, I remember a client we worked with a while back, and we worked in an inpatient adolescent unit. And part of the program was you worked a, through a DBT program, and you earned your ability to go on a home pass and experiment with some of your coping skills, come back, talk about how that went, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you needed to earn it, but there was this child, and he was, he was pretty, pretty naughty, Okay. Yeah. Um, and looking back, that's that's the label we gave him, right? And what that allowed me to do, what that allowed the staff to do, because I was role modeling it, right, was be frustrated with him because of his behaviors, be angry with his behaviors, unsure to move, nowhere to move with his behaviors, and the behaviors and that activity that he was doing became bigger than the person. And, oh, I did that, right? And I struggle looking back at this, knowing it was true. But about 30 days left of treatment, he comes into my office. He says, Josh, I want to die. Okay. And, of course, we have crisis response teams there. And, and you know, I go through my process of what to do when we have a suicidal patient. But we, it really was a hard stop for me. And, and I had to evaluate what's going on here, right? He was so scared to go home and he was comfortable being the naughty kid, right? <laughs> that was easy for him. Absolutely. And uh, he oftentimes made us laugh too, right? With his, some of his behaviors, right? Because he was about being the the life of the party or distracting everybody from everything else right and even from his own pain um but once we conversed for a while in that in that session when he told me he wanted to die was he just didn't have any love right no one was showing him that not even our program mm. and that's pretty hard to look at right when we when we say we failed at that because we focused so much on him being the naughty kid and his behaviors became 
bigger, right? That we wanted to push him away rather than what he needed was to pull him closer. Mm -hmm. Um, And once we figured that out, we did better treatment. But wow, you know, it can be us that does it in such a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Belonging and family then, right? And that's kind of where that looks, what that looks like. Because if you can stop and hey, hey, this is where we're at and we're going to connect here. There's been some disconnect, Mm -hmm. but we're going to use this to reconnect, right? right? That is belonging and family right there. So even with all of that, maybe negativity that led up to it, right? Where it brought you in that space, but you had to be able to acknowledge it and realize it and say it to right. do it, right? right? And it may not have been the best things that got you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if we find ourselves in that, you find yourself in that spot, right? Just just do a little reflection, right? And it takes a lot of reflection and our guest talks about it. Um, and you're listening to the Awe Podcast and part of that is our pillars, right? Authentic, authenticity, well-being, and empowerment. And all those things are talked about in, in the next segment with our guest. Um, that family needs to be build authenticity. It needs to be a place where people could be well. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be a place where people are empowered to be their authentic selves and to accomplish goals. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we have to remember that even with whatever it is, you know, you may bring with you from your own experience, right? And we've talked about this several times is how you can then empower somebody else using that, right? And and goals and all those things, you know, how that just, that can fit into any facet, including the family, right? Right. Yeah. 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 We have with us today Andrea Rolina, who is the embodiment of a family person. She has her bachelor's degree in communication, her master's in communication studies. She keeps her team together by building on collaboration. And by the way, she's the director of the marketing department here at Western Iowa Tech. And she navigates this role with um, beauty and grace and does it so wonderfully. Um, She's married and has a couple children at home and really lives for crafting belonging for her family. And it's not only in her family where she does this. It's actually in every environment that her children go to, as well as every environment that she's in. So welcome, Andrea. Welcome. Thank you. That was about the nicest introduction I have ever heard. And I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, is he talking about me? Absolutely. <laughs> Welcome Absolutely. to all. That's what we that do is here. So yes. great. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're just going to jump in with a big open question. What sure. is the importance of family? I think family roots you in society. It is the beginning of how you learn who you are, your place in this world helps create a environment in which you can become your authentic self, Right. provides safety and stability and security and unconditional love and connects you to the world around you. So family is incredibly, incredibly important. But family also is, I believe, a flexible word and has flexible meaning because, of course, there's your biological family. There's the family that you were born into, your aunts and your uncles and your grandmas and your grandpas. And um, so there's that family, that biological bond. But then there's also family that can extend outside of that type of um, 
environment like your work family or your friend family and where you find your safety and where you find where you can really be yourself, I think is what is important about family. As mothers and fathers in this room, we, we all have that title, um, and it bears just a little bit of weight. Um, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. But a one small of the, thing. <laughs> yeah, just, you know. It is no biggie. It's right. really not that big of a deal. Right, right. If we right. fail, nah, you yeah. know. And we'll get to it when we can. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Side job. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, as a mother, create belonging within your family? Well, for me and my children, um, the biggest thing that I tr- do as a parent is to create a sense of belonging is showing them unconditional love. Yeah. That my children do not have to achieve certain things. They do not have to be good at anything. <laughs> that they can just be themselves. And that I will love them for better or for worse. And that there is nothing that they can do to... Um, change the way that I feel about them and all that they need to be is just themselves and um, the reason part of the reason why I feel so strongly about that is I did not grow up in a place in in a situation where I felt like um, I felt like I had to be perfect Mm -hmm. Um, my dad had a drinking problem and was um, not around a lot and that put a lot of stress on my mom to mm-hmm. raise two girls and keep it all together. And my mom kind of, um, my dad wasn't around to take her anger out on, so she took it out on us mm-hmm. and did that in a way that was, it was always a lot of tension. We, we my sister and I felt like we had to be very careful about what we said and about what we did. Um, we tried our very, very best to make our mom happy. And I tried by being perfect and being the overachiever and being the person that succeeded in everything that they did and excelled in everything that they did. And my sister, unfortunately, went in the opposite way and she retreated into herself. Mm -hmm. And so we had two people in the same family experiencing the same things and the way that we dealt with it was in two very different ways. And I did not want my children growing up feeling that same kind of stress because that stress and that response stayed with me until I became a mother Mm -hmm. um, at the age of 30. And that's when I realized that I cannot continue on this path where I can be everything to everyone because my priorities have now changed. Mm -hmm. My priority is this child and raising her to be um, proud of herself and who she is. And I couldn't do that and be a perfectionist at the same time. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't a possible. And um, so th- with that background, it's very important to me that my children can know that they can make mistakes. They don't have to perform. They don't have to be the best cellist or be the best um, valedictorian or be the best athlete. Um, my kids are not the best at anything. They're just kids. They are just mm-hmm. normal children who are delightfully weird and um, um, they're funny and they make mistakes all the time. And so what I am funny. finding is that they they can just be little. I just want them to enjoy being little and growing in a place where uh, they feel loved and valued for who they are. Wow. Um, 
my son has um, is on the autism spectrum. And so with that diagnosis came an entirely new way to navigate parenting. Right. Because with my daughters, they just learned and mimicked and picked up on social cues simply by just being around us and interacting with us. Mm-hmm. I did not have to teach my daughters um, how to say hello to people when they walked in the room. I did not have to teach my daughters how to respond to a question if someone asks them a question. I had to teach my son those skills. I can't say just me. We had a whole team of specialists help him. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some really incredible resources in this community that I'm so grateful that we had. Um, But he had to be taught how to say hi to people, to recognize people when they walk in the door, Mm -hmm. how to um, answer people's questions, how to converse with people or converse with people. That is not as that is not something that his brain associated with agency. It did not. It he did not. His brain did not think that that was important, mm-hmm. right? right? What he was interested in was his Legos, right? <laughs> and to this day, he will start. He won't tell me about school, but he will tell me all about the new battlefield guy that he started drawing <laughs> and has created, and all of the cool superpowers that this creature can do um so now i now it is working with him on finding a place in this world and being comfortable with who he is being neurodiverse Mm -hmm. um and i will say that this the schools are doing a great job i think it's just more normal to have neurodiverse children on the playground Mm -hmm. and in classrooms and i think that um the I, i i have seen a lot of growth in that area in having that learning environment be uh, good for everyone, right? Adaptable for everyone, that the mm-hmm. learning environment is flexible and what works for one child might not work for the other child. Where we're struggling right now is recess. He has his little best friend, um, <laughs> has found a new interest. Um, the two boys used to spend their time on the playground using their imagination, right? They would mm-hmm. just create these great stories and, oh gosh, the stuff that they come up with was just incredible. But now his new little friend has found a new passion and that is football. While my son is anti-football, anti-sports. <laughs> oh, no. He's more of an indoor boy. Like mm-hmm. he, he doesn't he doesn't find joy in that. That's not something that he, he enjoys doing. So mm-hmm. it's been interesting for him to find a place to belong on the playground. And I'm working with him on um, how to we have to work with him on how to introduce himself into a new a different group and find an activity that looks like fun. And how does he get into that activity? Last night, he told me um, verbatim. Um, it it is it looks as though or it appears as though or it turns out that there are a lot of kids that don't interact with me and I don't know why. Well, that just about oh, put a dagger in my heart, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I asked him, how did he, how do you feel about that, buddy? He goes, well, sometimes I just feel lonely. So mm-hmm. even a neurodiverse child at the age of 10 wants to belong, mm-hmm. wow. wants to feel like he's a part of something. And for a neurodiverse child like um, my son, we just have to teach him how to do that because it doesn't come natural to him. He doesn't pick up on the social cues. 
his one friend has a new activity and now em, my son is Emmett is he he sits on the playground and think he says thinks about the things that makes him happy right <laughs> yeah. and if that's a preferred activity that is great like i would love that but he also wants to belong he right. also doesn't want to be lonely he wants friends to play with and so as a parent i'm trying to teach him the skills at night when we're snuggling in bed i'm trying to give him a pep talk and break down the actions for him on what he can do on the playground so that he doesn't feel lonely with being on the autism spectrum i'm also very well aware that some learning environments are not going to work for him though that they were the way that they work for my daughters mm -hmm. and so my husband and i were exploring uh, different educational opportunities for him. And we had looked at private school. Um, I would love for him to stay in the public school. I really believe in public education. But I also know that what works for him in elementary school might not work for him in um, in the middle school. So mm -hmm. we're just looking at our options. And I had asked about um, um, getting some information about uh, the private schools. And I got a handbook from a friend and I'm looking at the information and, you know, the front page talks about, um, you know, the, the tuition and, you know, how all that works. And then the next three pages were all um, uh, anti-gay statements, um, page upon page upon page of policies about how they do not support people who are in um, same gender relationships. And that sealed the deal for me, and I threw away the booklet in anger because perhaps my child is gay. He has not um, expressed a preference um, either way yet. I know that in a couple years he, he will. Um, but what hurt me and was so frustrating to me was that already in a booklet, already in, in a policy, that school has decided the worth of a student and has said we're not going to accept you or you can come here and you can pay the bills but in the policies and in the handbook you are wrong in who you are you you cannot be your authentic self so if my child is gay um or um you know a part of the lgbtq plus community then he has to hide he or she if my other children decide you know we end up taking them there have to hide who they are i was i couldn't accept that at all. Um, I am I'm in a position where my I firmly believe that my children need to grow authentically who they, who they are and um, I want to put them in an environment that's going to allow them to do that. Um, and my daughter and I'm, I'm grateful for the public school systems because my daughter <laughs> as a preteen is uh, learning how to express herself, um, <laughs> particularly in fashion. And um, <laughs> gone are the days where I could just go buy her things. She oh. now has some very strong preferences. Um, and I was I was telling a friend earlier about this where um, she had come up with an outfit um, where part of her outfit were fishnet tights. Fishnet tights do not mean the same thing as they did when we were growing up. I just want to be very clear about this. It's a thing, and it is popular, and people wear them now. Preteens and teenagers wear them now. It's a thing. In case you didn't know this, I just wanted you to know this. She took it to a whole new level and found some shoelaces that she was not using and had woven the shoelaces into the fishnet so she went to school 
with this design embroidered in her fishnet. And I was just so proud of her because I felt like at that age, I was not comfortable or confident enough to trade, you know, to, to like have my own trail and to define my own style, I was wearing whatever the popular kids were wearing. Right. If they came to school with a certain shoe, I wanted that type of shoe. And so I was very grateful that she felt comfortable and confident enough that she could wear a slightly weird outfit. I'm not going to lie. It was really weird. <laughs> but be proud of it yeah. and have fun with it. Wow. And um, I feel like those that confidence, if she can have that now at 12, it, she can hopefully carry that into the rest of her adulthood and um, just show, be comfortable in her own skin. And as a preteen, as a mother with a preteen, oh my word, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she has managed the eye roll, managed to nail down that eye roll in just a couple of weeks, but she's also managed to navigate middle school really well. And I'm just really proud of her for that. That's awesome. You did a great job of speaking to our pillar of authenticity and, I want to circle back. You spoke about fostering unconditional love for your for your children. And um, I'm going to ask you to speak to how that fosters empowerment, not just only for your children, as you just shared with your daughter in those preteen years and gross. It's gross. I've done this, too. It's gross. Um, But how (laughs) she was able to, um, you know, be herself, even when, yes, generally Mm -hmm. everyone is trying to be very much the same. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. how does that you know, unconditional um, ideal within the home, foster empowerment, not just in your children, but then as you, in you, as you shared some of um, the things you experienced growing up, how are you now empowered, right, as Mm -hmm. that perfectionist Mm -hmm. to provide this kind Mm -hmm. of care for your children? Mm -hmm. As a recovering perfectionist, um, (laughs) I, I applaud mistakes. I, try to provide my children with opportunities for them to try new things and be okay with not being that great at it. Um, So for example, my family, all of my children are now swimming, right? They are not natural swimmers. Um, (laughs) If they become good at swimming, it's going to be because they worked hard at it and they practiced at it. Um, in my day growing up, we were told that we were just good at something. Oh, you're so smart or you're so good at this. I think people naturally have talents, mm-hmm. right? Or they have a skill set that they're just kind of inclined to do. Like mm-hmm. I um, am not tone deaf, so I can sing moderately well, right? <laughs> um, but I was always told I was good at singing. I was good at singing. Well, I mean, I could sing on in tune, Right. And it didn't sound terrible. But Mm -hmm. if I wanted to be really good at it, I needed to train and I needed to practice. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I want my children to know that just because they're not good at something doesn't mean they can't be. Mm -hmm. And that not to be afraid to try something because they're not perfect at it. Um, And I also... um, it's so there's that's one thing. The other thing that's really important to me is, again, that unconditional love because my children are wonderful, but they're also kids and they can be mm-hmm. jerks sometimes. Right. <laughs> and um, and it's for me, it's how we approach that in my household. That's really important that there is no shame. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I don't want them to feel shame. I don't want them to feel less than um, when they make a mistake. It's about talking to them 
And what can we learn from this and how can we do this different? Mm-hmm. My daughter um, has a, oh gosh, I smartphones. Kids, <laughs> if anyone can tell me what age is an appropriate age for a kid to have a phone, I will pay you a million dollars because <laughs> this is something that I am really struggling with. Yes. And for better or for worse, my daughter has an iPhone and she uses it to communicate with us um, when we are at work. And she also uses it to text her friends. Well, because my daughter is smart, not smart, she's she's got a good head on her shoulders. She's logical. Mm-hmm. She's a smart. She's a sweet girl, kind-hearted. I j- just assumed she would knew what would be appropriate to send to friends on texts. Oh. Turns out she didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> and sent um, a friend of hers some content that I did not find offensive. It was um, gay pride information, right? But sent that text to get this gay pride meme to a friend of hers mm-hmm. whose parents did not appreciate that and um, was um, did not want their children to be um, um, exposed to that kind of information. Felt like that was a topic that was better saved for when they were teenagers. And um, I... I respect that, that it was her, you know, that's her choice as a parent. And I had to explain to my daughter, (laughs) I had to explain to my daughter that although in our family, we, um, we are, we encourage exploration of, um, the kind of information that's going to help you become who you are Mm -hmm. and that what she sent wasn't wrong or bad. It's just sensitive information. And that I did not tell her that she would, doesn't know. I didn't teach her that. And this was a teaching moment, not only for her, but for me. Like, you can't just, I couldn't just assume that just because she's smart and kind, she's going to know. She didn't know. And we had to go back and use that as a teaching moment, not Mm -hmm. only for her, but for me. And then I had to take some responsibility that I did not set her up for success. Mm -hmm. And that we have to just be very careful with the information that um, we have at our disposal. And that I had to remind myself and her that her brain is still developing. And although she shows good common sense in some areas and others, not so much, right? (laughs) And so it's like letting a little caveman have a phone (laughs) and all of this information at their disposal that they can send out to anybody in nanoseconds and not really truly understanding the consequences of those actions. So that was a moment where I needed a reality check. She needed a reality check. And we got that reality check together and mm-hmm. that she had made a mistake. But it was a mistake that um, we needed to walk through because I also made a mistake. And instead of yelling at her and saying, you cannot, I'm taking that phone away from you because you did not use that appropriately. I didn't tell her what appropriate meant. What mm-hmm. does appropriate look like? She just saw something cool and wanted to share it with her bestie. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, again, I guess that just ties back to allowing mistakes to be learning opportunities and not to be hard on them because they just they're just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm as I'm a parent. I don't have never had a preteen before. I'm just trying to figure it yeah. out. So we're going to figure it out together um, and just wow. allowing for some grace. Yeah. So when there are, when there's that, maybe that, not that sense of belonging within the family for various reasons, sexual orientation, there's substance use, there's all these things that can occur, right? What is that like? And, and when we don't feel like we belong within that family system, 
what can you speak to there? I just, I think, um, okay, first of all, I feel like I didn't quite answer Josh's question because I do want to <laughs> go back and just say something really that I think that is important to me, that in allowing for mistakes and allowing for some grace, they can grow some confidence in themselves and be stronger as they try to find their way into the world, be empowered to be who they are and just know that who they are is good enough. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be the best at this. They don't have to be the best at that. They can be just be an average person that makes mistakes and that that is exactly who that they needed to be. And so being empowered to be comfortable in their own skin mm -hmm. and move forward. And I think that that starts at home in how we how we try to fight perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to go yeah. back to what you said, Lashana. Okay. I just felt like I didn't do a very <laughs> yeah. good job answering well, that question. No, I no, and I think actually yeah. Lashana talked about the empowerment piece, but I, you you just talk about how much you role model being a human yes, and how much that relates to your children, right? And I think that's so important because the environment we raise our children in is it turns on genes, it shuts off genes, it allows people to be themselves right mm -hmm. so i think it's huge that you role model that for mm -hmm. your children mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well i know how painful it is when it's not role modeled mm -hmm. when you are expected to you have this box that you're supposed to fit in mm -hmm. and you realize what happens when you don't fit into that box right? right and for my kids there is no box you know i just i just want them to know that they are unconditionally loved no matter what happens mm -hmm. And um, that is hopefully something that can sh they can understand that they're worth mm -hmm. that they take out into society. And I know and I it, it hurts me and it pains me to know that there are some families like a nuclear family that doesn't offer that. They may not offer that security and that safety and um, through whatever reason uh, might be causing harm or trauma to somebody. And in that instance, I think that's where family outside of that new, that that biological relationship is so important. Finding that family and that belonging in social groups instead with friendships um, or at work or, um, you know, finding a group of people that shares the same interests with you and everybody wants to feel like they belong. And if it doesn't happen in that, you know, traditional sense of the word family, it's exposing yourself and putting yourself out there and finding other ways that you can find those kinds of connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You shared, you know, within that nuclear family system, if that is not something that is cohesive and you're not feeling supported to to look outside of it for friends, work, um, all types of other interest areas. But if there's somebody who's listening right now who does not feel um, comfortable in maybe even reaching outside of their comfort zone, what would you say to a person who maybe who's experiencing that detachment or lack of belonging within that family system? What would you say to that individual? I would just say that um, that they may not realize their worth as a human, um, that they are worthy of love, and that they they deserve all of the wonderful things that belonging in family and relationships have to offer. And um, I would say, do not give up on yourself. Um, that um, there are 
connections out there to be made. And um, I would suggest seeking help from a professional, a mental health professional, if um, and not to find shame in that because life is hard. Guys, yeah. life is really hard. Even people who have it together don't have it together. <laughs> Amen. Right? Amen. Yes. Amen. And everyone's riding the struggle bus. Agreed. And you are not alone in that. And we're all just a bunch of weirdos trying to figure our way <laughs> right. in the world. Right. So let's do it together. Find your find a weirdo that you can hang out with and um, that you can connect with. And it doesn't all have to look the same. No. And not everybody wants the same thing. Um everybody's level of feeling a connection is different. Like you could be an introvert and like once a month have lunch with a friend and that be enough for you. And that is great. There is no predefined way that a friendship has to look right. Mm -hmm. I have a, a friend of mine. I've known her for a decade. We see each other once every few months and that friendship has sustained through again, through a decade. And it's just because that friendship looks different. I don't talk to her every day, but my God, I know that if I needed her, I could call her up on a moment's notice and she would respond to me, right? Whereas I have other people that I talk to on a daily basis mm -hmm. and they're, um, um, you know, we have a great relationship, but we're not like she, they may not, that person might not be the person that I would go to in dire need, right? Mm -hmm. But yet I see them every single day. And so I just think it's getting rid of these preconceived notions of what friendships and belonging and relationships have to look like and just do what's best for you and um um but reach out and ask for the help that you need and know that that is um perfectly okay and not only is it okay it is awesome because let me tell you therapy is great <laughs> i concur <laughs> therapy is fantastic for somebody to just to sit and listen to you for a whole hour and like be on your side, I can't tell you how great that feels. It just feels really good. It is. It's amazing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yep. Awesome. And I would just encourage um, anyone who is listening uh, to stay authentic, be well, and empowered. Thank you.